Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Years ago, when I was a young pastor, one of the first questions I ever got, I was leading a Bible study, and this old man says to me, Pastor Tom, did God change his mind between the Old and the New Testaments? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, in the Old Testament, God is so angry, and in the New Testament, he's so loving. So did he change his mind? <laughs> I said to him, no, there's lots of love of God in the Old Testament, and there's a fair amount of wrath of God in the New Testament. Same God. Today we're going to ask this question. Is God still a God of wrath? Some people think that ever since the cross, ever since Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sins, that God isn't wrathful anymore. Well, is that true? Well, let's, let's get into the scriptures and we'll see. Let's pray. Father, it says in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we would pray not that we'd have a, a dumb or a stupid fear of you, but a proper godly fear. And Lord, please speak to us now about your wrath and your love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me do a quick history of God's wrath. Past wrath, present wrath, future wrath. First, let's do the past wrath or anger of God. This is from Exodus 22, about 1300 BC. God says this to Moses. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you do afflict them, my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So in the Old Testament, God got angry at injustice. And then the Jews started worshiping the golden calf. And God says in Exodus 32 to Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And then Moses pleads with God and God relents. Then in, this, in uh, number 16 is, is Korah's rebellion. And we read this. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, put fire therein from off the altar, and lay incense on it. Carry it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement for them, for wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people, and he put on the incense and made atonement for the people and Aaron stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. Now those who died by the plague were 14,700 people. So yes, in the Old Testament, God gets angry. But we need to add this. He is slow to anger. It says this in Psalm 30 from the Old Testament. His anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. 
uh, from Jeremiah chapter 3, Return, O faithless Israel, says the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against your Lord. And then from Psalm 86, You, Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So yes, God gets angry, but he's slow to get angry. And let me say this too. If God is slow to get angry, we too should be slow to anger. This is from the Old Testament and the New Testament, Proverbs 14, Old Testament. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then in the New Testament, James 1, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. When I was a young pastor, I worked for a senior pastor who was a hothead. Boy, did he get angry at people. And one day I had to confront him about something. <laughs> so with fear and trembling, I said my prayers and I walked into his office and as gently and humbly as I could, I confronted him. There was a, there was a hole in the ceiling by, by the time I got in. I, I realized, I guess I don't do that ever again. But then I left that church and for eight years I worked under a different senior pastor. This senior pastor loved the Lord. I don't think in my eight years working with him, I don't remember him getting mad once. And you know what? God used this pastor. He touched many lives for Christ. The hothead pastor, I don't think God used him hardly at all. So yes, God is a God of anger, but he's slow to anger. And, and we also should be slow to anger. And, and let me say this too, this is gonna sound strange, it's good for us that God gets angry at our sin. God is a righteous, holy God who gets mad. But our sin is destroying us. So it's good if God gets mad at that. It's good if I get mad at my sin. <laughs> it's healthy for me. All right, that's the past wrath of God. Let's move to the present tense wrath of God. From Luke chapter 13, Jesus warns about the present wrath of God when a tower fell. Quote, those 18 upon the whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is saying there's a present tense wrath of God who right now makes towers fall. <laughs> Years ago, when 9-11 hit, I preached the towers fell. I wonder if that's the wrath of God for all the babies we kill in America, for all the pornography in America, for, uh, and I just, boy, did people get mad at me. I preached again. I mean, I had, one guy got so mad, he was, I'm gonna come pick at your church. <laughs> he never did. But um, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter one about the present wrath of God. Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is, present tense, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Because Paul teaches, we all know there's a God from creation, but we stuff it down and we worship idols instead. There's a present, and then Paul writes Ephesians chapter two, and, and he says, we all start out as children of God's wrath. Ephesians 2, 3, among these passions we all once lived of our flesh, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. One more thing about present wrath of God. If you persist in, re in rejecting Christ, the present tense wrath of God rests on you. This is from John 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests on him. All right, here's what we've learned so far. In the past, the Old Testament, God was a God of wrath. In the present, in the New Testament times, even after Christ dies on the cross to pay for our sins, to save us from the wrath of God, God is still a God of wrath. Is God going to be a God of wrath in the future? Jesus said this in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a future wrath. Paul the Apostle says the same thing, Romans chapter 2. By your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed on judgment day. So, put it all together. Past tense, God was a God of wrath. Present tense, God is a God of wrath. Future tense, God will be a God of wrath. So, there's the bad news. <laughs> um, in a minute, we're going to get to the good news. But first, I want to make sure you've heard the bad news. Because if you don't hear the bad news, that you're a sinner who deserves God's wrath, the good news, the gospel, won't make any sense. So, let me tell you the bad news before we get to the good news. Perhaps the most famous sermon preached in American history was preached on July 8, 1741 by Jonathan Edwards. His sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was a, an intellectual Puritan preacher and he, God used Jonathan Edwards to start what is called the First Great Awakening, the great revival movement uh, in, in American history. And here's the kind of preaching that started that revival. Now, I want you, I, I'm, I'm cutting this way down. It's a long, terrifying sermon. I'm just giving you a couple paragraphs. Would you concentrate on this and listen to this from 1741, Jonathan Edwards? God's wrath is an everlasting wrath. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierce wrath of God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible ministry. When you look forward, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul, and you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. Millions and millions of ages you will wrestle and conflict with this almighty, merciless vengeance, and then when you have done so, what, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Oh, who can express what the state of a soul is in such circumstances? How dreadful is the state of those who are daily and hourly in the danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. But this is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation that has not been born again, however moral and strict, sober and religious that they may otherwise be. 
Oh, that you would consider it, whether you be young or old. There is reason to think that there are many in this congregation hearing this sermon that will actually be the subjects of this very misery to all eternity. We know not who they are or in what seats they sit or what thoughts they now have. It may be they are now at ease and flattering themselves that they are not the persons. It would be a wonder if some that are now present should not be in hell in a very short time, even before the year is out. And then he says those who are, about, who are already in hell. Their case is past all hope. They are crying out in extreme misery and perfect despair. But here you are in the land of the living and in the house of God. You have an opportunity to obtain salvation. What would not those poor damned hopeless souls give for one day's opportunity that you now enjoy? And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown open the door of mercy, wide open, and he stands calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in are now in a happy state, with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sin in his own blood, and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. How awful it, is, it would be to be left behind at such a day, to see so many others feasting while you are perishing, to so, see so many others rejoicing and singing for joy of heart while you have cause to mourn. And then he says this, Awake thoroughly out of sleep. You cannot bear the fierceness of the wrath of infinite God. And you young men and young women, will you neglect this precious season which now you enjoy when so many others of your age are renouncing all youthful vanities and flocking to Christ? Let everyone that is yet out of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be old men and, or women, middle-aged, young people, little children, hearken to the loud call of God's word and providence. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of God Almighty is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Whew. Well, now for the gospel, the good news. Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. This is from 1 Thessalonians 1. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait from his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. And 1 Thessalonians 5, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 5, since we are now justified by Christ's blood, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. <laughs> I want to close by telling a story. There's a story many years ago. There was a boys' school in Virginia. Very rowdy bunch of boys. Teachers didn't last very long at that school. One day a new graduate comes to the principal and he says, I would like to teach here. And the principal says, do you know what you're asking for? People don't last in that. I love a challenge. I want to teach those boys. The principal says, okay. Teacher walks in the classroom, first day of school. Welcome, boys. I'm your new teacher. Well, they started making noise and, and throwing things. And he said, but boys, we're not going to be able to have class unless we have some rules. 
So you tell me, what are some rules that would keep order in this class? One boy yelled out, on time. Took the chalk, number one, on time. What's another rule? Another boy, no stealing. Number two, no stealing. What's another rule? And they got 10 rules on the board. And the teacher said, but boys, rules are no good unless we can enforce them. What do we do to the boy who breaks these rules? Somebody yelled on out, uh, 10 switches on the back with his coat off. Teacher said, well, that, boys, that's pretty strict. Are you sure you can take that? Oh, we can take it, we can take it. And teacher said, okay, class has begun. For two weeks, there was order in the class. Uh, they were learning. But at the end of the second week, little Tom, it was discovered, stole the, excuse me, little Jim had stolen the lunch of Big Tom. And so the teacher says, you know what has to happen, Jim, come forward. And this little boy with a coat held tight around his neck comes forward and the teacher says, you know the rule. So the little boy took the coat off to reveal just a skinny body, no shirt. Jim, why didn't you wear your shirt today? Well, I only have one shirt and mother's washing it today. And the teacher did not want to do this, but he knew if he didn't enforce the rules. So he took Jim and he was about to take the switch and Big Tom jumps up. Teacher, what if I took his whipping for him? Would that work? That would keep the rules. And the teacher said to the class, well, I suppose if the class agrees, and they said, we agree. And he put little Jim aside, Tom over his lap, took the switch, hit him once, twice, and on the third switch, the rod broke. The teacher buries his hands in his face and thinks, I don't want to do the rest of this. And he hears crying. And he looks up, and little Jim had put his arms around the neck of Big Tom. And he said, Tom, I am the one who stole your lunch. But you took my whipping for me. And I will never forget that, Tom. I will never forget that. Is God a God of wrath? Yes. But more than that, he's a God of love who couldn't bring himself to punish us for our sins. So he came down from heaven. God became a human being. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't so that he could take our whipping on the cross. He paid for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven. I want to be Jonathan Edwards. If you are not in Christ, if you don't know Christ, fly to him, flee to him before it is too late. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Tom, do Christians ever experience God's wrath? You know, I want to say no, and here's why. When Jesus died on the cross, he said at the end of it, it is finished which I believe means the sin debt has been paid, people now are saved. Um, so I don't think I experienced God's wrath. That's been taken care of by Christ. 
but I do experience God's discipline. I mean, for instance, Jackie, if I was to go get drunk tonight and wake up with a Lulu of a hangover, is that God's wrath? Well, no, Christ paid my sin debt. I'm not going to hell, but I'm being disciplined by the Lord. So I think Christians experience God's discipline, but the wrath of God, hell, is taken care of. Could you explain what is purgatory? Okay. And I guess there's a two part, a second part to this. Should Christians believe in it? Because basically it seems like the only people that talk about purgatory are Catholics. That's right. And so just total disclosure, people think because I wear this, I'm a Catholic priest. I'm not. I'm a Lutheran pastor. Lutherans wear this too. I'm a Protestant. And you know, Jackie, I don't believe in purgatory for two reasons. Number one, it's not in the Bible. Some Catholics think 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches purgatory. Paul's talking about Judgment Day, if you look at that. So it's not in the Bible, so I don't believe in purgatory. And Jackie, if Christ paid my sin debt, why do I have to go to purgatory to have my sins purged off over maybe hundreds of years? I mean, it is finished. My sin debt is paid. If you look at Luke chapter 16, when the poor man dies, he goes right to heaven. He doesn't go through years or moments or whatever it is of purgatory. So I, I, I don't think it's biblical. Okay. You know, Tom, in this day and age, we're hearing so much about sexually transmitted diseases. Mm -hmm. Is that from God? Is that part of the wrath of God mm -hmm. or what? Yep. Gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, AIDS, is that the wrath of God? Well, if you're an unbeliever and you get herpes, that may be a foretaste of what's to come if you don't repent. Again, let's say you're a Christian and you sin and you repent and you're sorry and you still end up with herpes. Is that the wrath of God? I'm going to say no, because again, that's been taken care of for us by Christ, but it is his uh, discipline. Yeah. Okay. I've heard some people say that we shouldn't preach about hell and try to scare people into heaven. That people should convert to Christ out of love and not fear. What's mm -hmm. your catch on that one? Well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, do not fear men. All they can do is kill your body. Fear him, God, who can destroy your soul and body in hell. So Jesus told us to fear God. So I don't think we're supposed to cringe or have an unhealthy fear of God, but a healthy, proper fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, says the book of Proverbs. So, Okay, what should someone say to someone who says, oh, my loving Jesus would never send anyone to hell? Mm -hmm. And you, we hear people yeah. say this. Yeah. And I would say, are you following the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of your own imagination? Because in Matthew 25, the Jesus of the Bible says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Jesus will send people to hell on Judgment Day. You might not think he will, but he, he says he will. <laughs> so, Can you explain what was the first great awakening? Yeah. Let's, I, let's, I don't quite understand. Yep, I talked about that in the sermon. Yep. In the 1730s in New England, Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher. George Whitfield was another preacher of the First Great Awakening. And this is the first revival movement in America. This is when they were still colonies. And there was preaching and people had come together for all these meetings and they'd cry and lots of people got converted in the First Great Awakening. Okay. So what was 
the Wesleyan mm -hmm. revival. While in the 1700s, while the Great Awakening was happening in America, or at least in the same century, over in England, John Wesley on horseback rode all over England preaching, preaching, preaching. John Wesley uh, was part of what's called the Wesleyan Revival and started the Methodist Church in England. It's now over here in America. Sadly, the Methodist Church has become very unbiblical and liberal. And I just heard the news they're going to split now. The liberals are going to split off so that they can ordain practicing homosexuals, etc. But Wesley would have had nothing to do with that. That was the Wesleyan Revival. You know, I didn't realize there were so many revivals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the Welsh revival? Yep, 1904 in Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom near England there. Um, there was just a move of the Holy Spirit. And in 1904, a lot of people came to Christ. There's a story of a reporter from London wanting to go to Wales to cover this revival in 1904. He, he gets to the, on the train, he says to the uh, conductor, we'll say, you know, where's the revival tonight? And the conductor patted his chest, the revival is right underneath these buttons. Because <laughs> he'd been converted. So just, yeah, that was the Welsh revival. Okay, then there's the Haug or Haugi. Haugi. Yeah, let's talk about Haugi this. Haugi revival. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a, a man by the name of Hans Nielsen Hauge. When he was 21 years old, he was plowing in the field. <clears throat> he gets knocked over, has an experience of the Holy Spirit. When he comes to, he starts preaching around Norway. And Norway has, the state church in Norway, the Lutheran church, was pretty dead. And he starts preaching repentance and faith in Christ. It was a huge revival that still is having reverberations uh, in America and Scandinavia. Yeah. Okay, you just kind of gave me the intro to my next question. Okay. I was going to ask you, yeah. is there revival going on in America today? We've talked about all yeah. of these others. I don't see it. I don't mean to be negative, Jackie, but where do you see people truly repenting of their sin, coming to Christ, having faith? I don't see much revival in America today. Yeah. How will we know if revival is taking place in America? I think we'll pe see people on their knees repenting of sin. I think we'll see a, a, a huge lowering of abortion and pornography. Jackie, in my lifetime, there's only been one time I've seen people on their knees on the front page of the Star Tribune newspaper. It was the day after 9-11. So serious things might have to happen. You want to close, Tom? Sure, everybody. We thank you for watching our show today. Pray for our ministry that God will use it to reach many. And if God nudges you to support us, you'll see the uh, program uh, info in a minute. And see you next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by The Pastor Study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, 
or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.